Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Was my cross to seal it? 
Good morning. Good morning, good morning. As we get started this morning, I do want to mention two things uh, as we get into our message. One, week of prayer, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, take one of these. Uh, they're front foyer, welcome center. If you don't know where the welcome center or the front foyer is, let me know. I'll get you one. Let somebody else know we'll get you one. Take it. Inside of it, there's a daily prayer guide uh, for each day of the week. It takes 30 seconds uh, to read through what, what it says about our foreign missionaries. Please take one and, uh, and make a promise and a covenant with me that you will pray for them uh, every day, each week, throughout December, that every week we'll pray for our foreign missionaries and see what God would have you to give uh, to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. One other announcement uh, as we get started. I was trying to figure out how to explain this to Josh, but he did such a good job on the announcements this morning, I didn't want to throw one at him. Uh, one call now. So for those of you who received, we did a little test run uh, on a call last week. Uh, and, and it's going to start being a weekly call that we will do, and what it'll be is just a short call, gives the announcements uh, of what's coming up in our church, what events are going on, uh, those type of things. So there is a sign-up sheet, uh, again, both in the front and in the Welcome Center, there are sign-up sheets for one call now. If you would like to be on that, uh, to receive a call each week that gives the announcements of the church, uh, so that way in case you forgot something, there's something coming up, uh, and I'll kind of go through maybe a two-week list instead of sometimes, you know, we get bogged down with a month's worth of announcements in the bulletin. We'll look at just the next two weeks on that call, and so it'll keep you up to date on that. So please, please, please sign up for that. If you do not sign up, you will not be on the list. If you do not sign up and you are not on the list, when you come and say, well, I had no idea that was going on, Brother Jason, I'm going to go, oh, did you get your phone call? And you're going to say, no, I decided not to sign up because I thought hearing your voice for 30 seconds on a Friday would be too much. Uh, and I'm going to say, well, I'm sorry. That's why you don't know what's going on. So sign up, please. And that way we can make sure we're communicating effectively all the goings on uh, in the church. Because sometimes it's hard uh, to get everything in the bulletin. If we don't get it to Miss Cindy in time, she's already printed them. And then by the time we get to next week, it's too late. So please, please, please sign up. You don't have to be a member. If you're coming to this church, go ahead and sign up. We'll add you to the list. If you're tech savvy, you don't want to hear my voice, I believe you can opt in to text messages for certain of the messages. Some you can, some you can't. So I'm done with that. Let's get into the message this morning. I'm about to preach in my britches. So 1 Peter 1. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be in verses 6 through 9 this morning. The title of this morning's message is Joy in Christ Alone. And as we come to our third Sunday of Advent, leading up to our Christmas service on Christmas Eve, and we're going we're to recall that the term Advent simply means to look with anticipation for the arrival of someone important. To look with anticipation for the arrival of someone important. And we said that in all of history, in all of human history, there's not been a more important arrival than when Jesus Christ put on flesh, dwelt among men, born in a manger, come to save a lost and dying world. There is not a more important date in human history than the Savior of the world coming to save 
the world. And so we look to this Advent season and Christmas. First, we look to the idea that our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. We discuss the fact that the hope that the world has to offer us is perishing, it's fleeting, it doesn't last, and so it is not a true hope like the enduring hope that we find in Christ alone. Last week, we looked to the fact that peace from the world's perspective is, is fleeting because it's based on the absence of something. So we said the world's perspective of peace is that there's an absence of trouble or an absence of conflict or an absence of problem. But peace in Christ that is everlasting, enduring, and does not perish is found in the presence of the Savior, in the presence of Jesus Christ. And next week, we're going to look to the love that we can experience in Christ alone, a true love that is not experienced in any other way. But this week... We're going to look to the joy that we can experience in Christ alone. Joy that is found in no other source, in no other way than that little important baby born of a virgin on that Christmas day. So please stand as we honor the reading and teaching of the holy words of our holy God from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Let us pray. Father God, let us look to you this morning to guide our hearts and our minds. God, let your Holy Spirit reign free in this place and dwell among us. God, anything that is not of you, please bind it and send it out the door that it came in this morning. God, anything in our lives that would hinder us from focusing on an inexpressible joy that we can find in you and you alone, God, please take it away from us. God, we will give you the praise, we will give you the honor, we will give you the glory when this service is over. And it is in your precious name that we pray, as all God's children said, and you may be seated. Now, the subject of this text here in 1 Peter chapter 1, is clearly joy. Verses 6 through 9, the, the theme, the idea is an underlying theme clearly of joy. The first five verses tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that as those who are saved, we have a salvation by the mercy, by the grace of God, which gives us a living hope through Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that will never perish. It will never be defiled. It will never fade away. And because of that truth, that our inheritance is eternal, because of the truth that our Jesus is everlasting, because of the truth that our inheritance can never be tainted or faded, because of that, we should have a rejoicing and we should have joy as a believer. And so you might say that salvation joy or the joy of salvation really is the theme of Peter's text, Peter's writings here. But you know throughout scripture we see that walking with God equates to joy for a believer. Walking with God should mean joy to a believer. In Psalms, we see in Psalms chapter 4 verse 7 that God puts gladness in our heart. In chapter 5 verse 11, he says those who take refuge in God will be glad. Psalms 9 2 says I will rejoice and be glad in thee. Psalms 37 4 says delight yourself in the Lord. You see that the duty 
or the byproduct, you might say, of being a Christian is that we would have joy in our lives. We should not be downtrodden and defeated as Christians because we should have a joy that passes the understanding of this world. We should have a joy that comes in the fact simply that we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he is our father, he is our sustainer, he is our creator. And that should bring joy to a Christian. We should have joy. There's really not any explanation for us not having joy if you read the scriptures. So that begs the question, how do we, how do we grab a hold of that joy? How do we grasp it? How do we hold it tight? How do we really hone in on that? We see that it's clear from scripture that we should have joy. But sometimes we don't feel joy, do we? Sometimes we don't understand how to grab hold of it. Joy almost seems like it's something out here just out of our reach sometimes. And so how do we capture that idea of, of rejoicing? How do we capture that focus on rejoicing? And we're going to see in this text, I believe, a few ways that we can shift our focus and focus on certain things that come along with being a believer that will create a rejoicing in our heart and a joy in our lives. Uh, in, in other words, sometimes a shift in our focus can change a, a, a shift in our perspective, you might say. The way we look at things can oftentimes change the way that we feel about these things. So we're going to look at, at just a few things uh, in the way that we look at our lives and look to Jesus. And the first thing I want us to see from our text this morning is that we have a protected inheritance. We have a protected inheritance. At the beginning of verse 6, Peter simply writes two words. It says, in this. It says, in this. In this you greatly rejoice. But in this, what he's really showing is saying, regarding the verses prior. So in these things that I just taught you, you greatly rejoice. And, and, and what he's really referring to in verses 3 through 5, we just said it a minute ago, but it, it is an eternal inheritance that never perishes, that never defiles, and that never fades away. God has promised us a protected inheritance, which is the fullness of our salvation. That is God's promise to us, is that his children, as his children, as believers, as those who have cried out, Abba, Father, we have an inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. We have an inheritance that cannot go away. We have something as believers that no principality, no scheme of man, no scheme of hell can come and take away from us our inheritance that we have been given by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to consider that everything that we have on this earth is subject to perish and go away at any given time. Everything is subject to be gone at any given time. It is a scary thought to think that with any given decision, and sometimes... Sometimes not even our own decisions, but with the decisions sometimes of others, our lives can be ripped apart. We can go from having everything and having security and having everything we think we need to having nothing in just a moment. Because everything of this world is really not secure. You know, you can invest in the stock market on speculations of making money. Watch it go south and have nothing. 
can invest in real estate on the speculation of making money. Watch it go south and have nothing. You can invest in other people, in relationships, in your jobs, in your spouses, in all of these things, in your health, and it can still be gone in just a moment. But bless God, the joy in being a believer is that no matter what happens, no matter what of those things are torn away, no matter what changes, I may go broke, I may lose it all, the dog may leave and go take up with a cat down the road, no matter what happens, my joy is not found in any of these things. My joy is found in the fact that let all of this world fade away, leave me with nothing but my relationship with Jesus, and I will greatly rejoice in that I am a child of the King. We have a protected inheritance as a believer. Our joy is not based on things that can perish or be defiled. Our joy is based on something that will never, ever fade away. Now, that's good. That's not as good as it gets. First, my joy is in a protected inheritance. But hang on, my joy is in that I have a proven faith. Look at the rest of verse 6 with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. In other words, you rejoice even though you go through trials. Even though things happen, you continue to rejoice. Even though things go wrong, even though you're enduring hardship, even though things feel bad, even though things are not the way you want them to be right now, you still greatly rejoice. Even though these things happen. That means in spite of all of the other circumstances, I'm still going to rejoice as a believer. Why? Because verse 7 says it's proven our faith. It's the proof of our faith. In, in, in verse 6, Peter really gives us a tremendous theology on suffering. Peter gives us one of the best theologies of suffering that's given in all of Scripture. Peter tells us a few things about our trials. He tells us, one, they don't last forever. They don't last forever. He says they're for a little while, doesn't he? He says they serve a purpose because he says if they are necessary, if they need be. He tells us that the trials hurt and that they are supposed to hurt when he says that they grieve us or distress us. He tells us that they come in many forms when he says that they are by various trials. Anybody ever endure a various trial? Anybody ever been distressed and grieved in their heart? Anybody ever come out of that and realized it was only for a little while? Anybody still in it right now, right? That's who I'm talking to. Anybody still in it right now? Peter gives us a great theology of suffering. He says they're for a little while. They hurt like the dickens and they're supposed to. That's why it hurts. But he says, even though, right? He starts it. Though now, even though now, I will greatly rejoice, even in spite of all the things going on. He is saying, even though you're in a trial, it cannot touch your joy as a believer. It has a, a purpose to perfect your faith. Charles Spurgeon wrote, the steps by which we ascend to joy are most often stained with tears. And in the ashes of our pain lie the sparks of joy ready to flame up when they're breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Think about that with me. 
The steps we ascend to joy are often stained with our tears. What we see here in the text is that our joy oftentimes comes through our pain. Sometimes we don't understand our fullness of our joy until we've walked through the valley of death's shadow, until we've gotten to the point that we don't know. So how do we have joy and pain? We have joy and pain because in those seasons we recognize that our faith is more precious than gold. Peter describes the trials as fiery furnaces. He says, in those places... In those fiery furnaces, in the time where it hurts so bad, those are the times when you recognize that you've got nothing else but God. Those are the times when you recognize that you have hit ground zero, you got nowhere to go, you got nowhere to turn, you got nobody else. Everybody you ever put your faith in has failed you. Every relationship you ever put your hope in has gone away. Everything you ever had for security has been taken and stripped away from you. You're down to bear nothing but you and God in the fiery furnace. And that, my friends, is where your faith is proven and tested and that is how you can come out the other side. You can look back and say, though you slay me, I will praise you, Lord. I will not rejoice in the things you give me. I will rejoice in that you are my God and that you will never leave me or forsake me. There's a a proving of our faith. It's strengthened in those times and those are where our faith is put to the test. So friend, those of you in a trial, you know really we're all in a relation to trial in one of just a couple of places. A believer is either heading into a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial. That's just the way it is. Why? Because in those seasons, our faith is strengthened and we're always being sanctified by God, being made more like Him. And sometimes those storms are where we draw nearer to Him. So our faith, our joy, can be found in a protected inheritance It can be found in a proven faith as we endure our trials. Now, this next one. It took me a little while to reflect on this next one. Even last night, I pondered on the magnitude of this next point, which always makes me nervous. I have discovered in the last couple of years that quite often the thing in my study that I think, eh, I preach it and everybody in here starts crying and raising their hands. And then sometimes when I'm studying, I come across something and I think, oh my gosh, this is going to blow everybody's mind. Everybody's going to sing holy hallelujahs. And I preach it and never just like crickets have entered into the room. So I'm a little nervous about this because this blew me away. So chances are I'll preach it and you'll all look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why'd that blow you away, you idiot? So let's see what happens. We have a protected inheritance. We have a proven faith. But we also have a promise honor. We have a promised honor. Look at the end of verse 7 with me. Look at the end of verse 7 with me real quick. That the genuineness of your face being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith, as it's proved, it's found to be more precious than gold to us. Anybody ever got to the other side of the trial and said, man, I wouldn't trade Jesus for a million bucks right now because he's the only thing that got me through that. My money would have never gotten me through that, but my God got me through that. That's what he's talking about right here. Our faith is more precious than our gold. It's more precious than anything fleeting. And it says that, that it will result in praise and honor and glory when at the revelation of Jesus Christ not only is there joy in proven faith but there's joy in an anticipation of a reward stick with me here this phrase here for glory and honor and praise this phrase is not speaking to the way that we give God his praise and his honor and his glory that is implied that it's already happened when our faith took place to begin with we if our faith is proven we've already given God the praise and the honor and the glory what this is literally talking about is that our faith when it's proven to the end to be a true faith when it's endured to the end as a as a solid faith in a true God who has sustained us, who's seen us, the fullness of our salvation is realized. Our faith is worthy of praise from God. Let me say that again. Our faith when it endures and lasts to the end is worthy of praise not just to God. That's what we should do till we get there. It's worthy of praise from God. Now that just blows my mind. One day, hang on, one day I'm going to see my Lord Jesus face to face. Think about that, that or blow your mind. One day I'm going to see the eyes of my Savior face to face. He's going to be revealed to me. That's the day of his revelation that he's talking about at the end of this verse. One day he'll be revealed to me. And when he's revealed to me, if my faith has been proven to the end, he's going to praise me. The God that I have spent an eternity praising is going to look at me and he's going to give me a praise. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. 1 Peter 2 and 20 says that when we suffer and endure, we find favor with God. Matthew 25, 21 says that the faithful servant hears these words. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful slave, my good and faithful servant. What an amazing thought that when Jesus is revealed face to face, he is going to utter a praise to me of well done. Is that not a phrase of praise? Well done. How many of us would like to hear a phrase of praise every once in a while on this earth? Has somebody come up, pat you on the back and say, well done, son. Well done, man. Well done, sister. We yearn for that. We long for that. We want that. How much sweeter to have my Savior look at me and say, Well done, my faithful servant. The Savior who saved me by His grace. That when I see His face, He would say, Well done, my child. So there's a verbal commendation of praise. There's another word he uses there, though, isn't there? He says the glory, praise, the verbal commendation, the honor, the reward of seeing him, and the glory at the revelation. Now, that first word talks about a verbal commendation. That word glory, though, that speaks to the perfection of something, the perfection of a person. He's not just going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He is going to perfect me. 
that ought to blow your mind. He is going to endow his glory upon me. Listen, there ain't nothing perfect. I'm looking at all of you. There ain't nothing perfect about any of you, but there sure ain't nothing perfect about me. But one day, one day, when Jesus, I see him face to face, and he says, well done, he's going to endow his glory upon me, and there's not going to be a blemish. There's not going to be a fault. There's not going to be a hair out of place. There's not going to be a hair missing. Everything on me is going to be perfect in his glory. John 1.14 says, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the glory of God made incarnate upon this earth. That means Jesus was the glory of God fully displayed on this earth. How do we see the glory of God? We look to Jesus. That's what Scripture tells us. It tells us that to see the glory of God manifested, all we have to do is to look to His Son, Jesus Christ, born in that manger, living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, resurrecting and beating hell. And that, my friends, is the glory of God beheld on this earth. But what does Scripture say? It says no matter how rotten a scoundrel you are, no matter how filthy you are, no matter how bad you are, that because of the righteousness imputed or put upon you as someone who believes in Jesus, you will be made like Jesus. You'll be perfected in His glory. That means that one day when I see Jesus face to face, I look into His eyes, I touch His hands, I hold Him, I look at Him, I behold His glory that He's going to make me perfect like Him. I am going to to be like him that's how I'm going to be praised that's how I'll be found well done is that God will not look upon me and see all of my sin he'll look upon me and see his son and he'll say well done my good and faithful servant you've been glorified here now I don't know about you but if that don't make you rejoice you're missing something. You're missing something. And you know what? I'm just going to say it right now and then we'll finish in just a moment. If you didn't rejoice when I just said you could receive praise from Jesus and you could be made like him, glorious and perfected. If you didn't just get chill bumps and goosebumps and something going on inside of your life thinking, oh my goodness, I can see the face of Jesus. If you didn't feel that, you need to get saved this morning. I don't care how long you've been to church. You may be the chairman of the deacons at some great, huge church for your whole life. But if you don't get chill bumps when you think that one day you can look into the face of Jesus, you need to get saved. You may have preached a hundred messages more than me in your life. But if you don't get chill bumps when you think that one day you can see the face of Jesus and you just want to shout hallelujah because you can look into the face of your Savior, you need to get saved this morning. That's just a fact. It ought to make us rejoice to know that we can look into the face of our Savior and that he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful slave. I told y'all that just blew my mind. I spent several days this week pondering on that. Now we've got a protected inheritance. We have a proven faith. We have a promised reward. But we also have a personal fellowship. A personal fellowship. Look at me with verse 8. Look, I don't know what I just said. Look with me at verse 8. Don't look at me. Well, look at me too. I don't care. Verse 8. Whom having not seen you love, 
Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why do we rejoice in an inexplicable or unexpressible way? This, you ever heard the phrase, the unspeakable joy? The joy that Peter is talking about there, literally that phrase means there is not a language to describe it. There weren't words in the Greek. There weren't words in the Hebrew. There aren't words in Spanish. And there sure ain't words in Southern English to describe the joy that we find in Jesus Christ. There's just not a word to describe it. If you can think of a word to describe it, you don't feel the same joy that you're supposed to feel when you think about Jesus. But Peter touches on something. Can I just say that I believe the two things he touches on here are two components to any relationship. They're key to any relationship when he talks about joy and trust, uh, love and trust. I'm sorry. Love and trust. Having not seen you, somebody help me, love. Though you do not see him yet, you believe, right? You trust that he's God and you love him. Those are two key components to any relationship because if you trust but you don't love, the relationship will deteriorate. It will fall away. Likewise, you can have all the world and the love, but if you lack trust, the relationship will deteriorate and fall away. And so we see that, that phrase, we don't see him. We don't, having not seen, we love, right? It's normal to trust and love someone you have seen and you've touched and you've felt and you've come to know, but we, we have not had opportunity to place our hands in the nail-scarred hands physically, have we? We've not had opportunity to, to look upon his face physically in our presence, have we? We've not had the opportunity that Peter had to walk with him for three years of his ministry and see him call Lazarus from the dead and see him... Uh, heal Jairus' daughter. We, did, we didn't have that luxury. That's what Peter's talking about. We've not seen him, but we love him as believers. 1 Peter 2.7 says it well when he says, for those who believe, he is precious. For those who believe, he is precious. John 14.15 says, if we love him, we're going to make a connection here. For those who whom believe, he's precious. For those who believe in Jesus, we love him. And John 14, 15 says that if we love him, we'll obey him. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so to believe in him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And so how can we know if we love Jesus? Do we obey him? Do we keep his commandments? Is that what's primary in our life? You see it it starts out, it says, not seeing you love, and then it talks about the trust factor. You haven't seen him, but you be believe that you will see him. And so what it boils down to is that when you think about the fact that you've not gazed into his eyes and touched his hands, you should have a belief and a hope in the fact that one day you will. One day you will. So, are we going to wait? Are we going to wait until the scripture is fulfilled and Jesus is revealed to rejoice in his name? Or are we going to rejoice in the promise that it's coming for us? Are we going to rejoice right now? I don't know about you guys. I don't want to wait till Jesus comes back to have joy. 
I don't want to wait till Jesus comes back to rejoice in his holy name. I want to praise him and I want to glory in him and I want to rejoice in him right now and get a head start. I'm sure it's going to be so much sweeter when I look into his eyes. I'm sure it's going to be so much sweeter when I feel the scars in his hands. I'm sure it's going to be so much more intense when I see him physically for the first time. But until then, I've got the promise that I'm going to, and that's good enough for me. Because God's word has never failed me. And so when he says that I'm going to see him, I know that I'm going to see him, and I'm going to rejoice in the knowledge that he is coming to get me again. And so as we close this morning, our final focus of joy is this is that we also have a present deliverance. Look at verse 9 with me real quick. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. This is not just an eternity or future kind of salvation that we have as believers. Right, we, we don't get saved. Yeah, we, we do get saved and we're signed, sealed, and delivered, right? We focus on that a lot in the church. Hey, once you've been saved, you're always saved. Once you've been saved, it's set in stone for eternity. Once you've been saved, you have a place prepared for you in heaven. And if he goes to prepare a place, he's coming to get you to take you to it. That is beautiful. That is amazing. And my friends, that is something else. But he didn't just save you for the future. He saves you for the right now. He didn't just deliver you from sin at the end of judgment. He's delivered you from sin every moment. So what can we glory in? What can we rejoice in about the fullness of our salvation? Well, that we are delivered. It ought to bring joy to our lives to know that we are delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from our sin. We are delivered from our guilt. We are delivered from our stress, our shame, our condemnation, our hopelessness. Everything that would defile us and take us away from joy, we can be delivered if we just would call upon the name of the Lord. And if you've already called upon the name of the Lord, my friend, stop living in your sin, stop living in your shame, stop living in your guilt, move on and recognize Jesus didn't save you for you to stay where you were. He saved you to pull you out of hell and pull you out of the muck and pull you out of the mire and do something with you. He didn't save you to stay where you were. And to stay where you were says that I don't know if he saved you. If you don't move from where you were to a place closer to Him, you didn't meet Jesus. I know that's probably not popular preaching, but it's the truth. And I love you too much to stand up here and lie to you. If Jesus didn't change you, you didn't meet Jesus. Because you cannot meet Jesus. Look at Go back to his birth. In this season, we look to his birth. Every character from his birth to now that has ever interacted with that baby or that man or that Savior has been changed. Go ask the shepherds. Go ask the magi. Go ask the innkeeper. Ask Mary. Ask Joseph. Ask the centurions at the cross. Ask the thieves upon the cross. Everybody who's ever come in contact with Jesus has not come away from it unchanged. It is not possible. We can be delivered from the power of sin when we exchange it for a joy 
that is beyond explanation. And how do we get that joy beyond explanation? We receive our protected inheritance. And we prove our faith. And we look to a promised honor. And we glory in Jesus Christ alone. So where is your joy this morning? Where is your joy? Do you have it? Do you feel it? If you don't, how do you get it back? You get it back by focusing on where your joy comes from. And that's in Christ alone. If your joy was focused on anything else, my friend, you've already learned that it's fleeting and it passes away. But joy in Christ alone is forever. If your joy is missing this morning, believer, you're a child of God, but you're not as joyous as you should be, will you be faithful to come this morning and lay your problems at his altar? Will you come and say, God, take this burden. I don't want it anymore. Take this sin, take this shame, take this guilt. I want to experience the joy of my salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you didn't get a little tick in your heart when I said one day you can see Jesus face to face, you don't know what I'm talking about. Would you come this morning and let's, let's talk about that together. And let today be the day of your true joy, of your salvation as well. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning. In this season of Advent, the season of Christmas, Lord God. And we recognize that in you we have hope. In you we have peace. And God, in you we have joy. God, sometimes joy can seem so fleeting. Joy can seem like it's out of our reach. It's beyond our grasp, Lord God. But help us to focus. Help us to focus on the truth that joy is not beyond our reach. It's not beyond our grasp. It's found in you, Jesus. It's found in you, and you're never more than a reach away. God, convict us, help us to lay our burdens down at your feet, that we would enjoy our salvation, that we would rejoice in this Christmas season. And God, if there be one here who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, who's never experienced joy, God, would you convict them and save them as only you can this morning. It is in your precious name that we pray, God. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.